preach the word today. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. The vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. It says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, and only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Mm. Come to tell you this morning, salvation is the free gift that will cost you everything. The title of this message is Wearing Dunamis, the Helmet of Salvation. Let's pray. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus, may we live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your word this morning. Give us spiritual eyes to see what you're doing and spiritual ears to hear what you're saying. I thank you, Jesus, that nobody in this room came to hear me speak today, but we all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We say, Holy Spirit, We don't make room for you. We give you the whole room. So have your way, Lord. Interrupt our plans. Interrupt our thoughts. Interrupt interrupt our hopes and our dreams and take over not only this physical space, but our minds and our bodies and our spirits and our families and our futures. Take the room, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 
Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Can we thank Pastor Ryan? Last night, Nikki was listening to rehearsal, a a recording from rehearsal, and we just heard Pastor Ryan go, go to the one. And we both went, Pastor Ryan's coming on Sunday. We didn't know. And just... Even just saying in the, in the in-ear monitors, go to the one. There's like anointing on it. So we're thankful for her. Can we thank that worship team for leading us into his presence this morning? Wow. I said it earlier. I kind of went out of order. But the vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God like we just had to daily personal encounters with God. And we do that through a process that we call MC Connect. And MC Connect is the way in which we disciple people into a daily encounter with the Lord. We help you to discover how you best connect with God. And then we will help you to develop a personalized plan on how you can have a daily encounter with the Lord. Because we know that a daily encounter with God is the, is the game changer for you. That's when everything in your life will change. When you can begin to be disciplined and encounter the Lord every day. I'm going to talk about that later in the message. But if you want more information about our church, most importantly, if you want more information about how to connect with God, text um, the word connect to five you know it was a heavy worship service if I forgot that text connect to 59090 and a link will be sent back to you but I'm preaching this morning we are in the year of dunamis 2023 the prophetic word over this house is the word dunamis this is the year that the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit goes from resting on us to being in us and operating through us it is the year of dunamis power to strengthen and fortify we have talked about it every Sunday Throughout the entire year, we are going into the ninth month of the year. Can you believe it? We're going into the ninth month of 2023. It sounds, when you're as old as me, it sounds like some sort of science fiction novel. 2023? Doesn't even seem real, but here we are. And we're going into this ninth month, and we've been talking about it and stewarding this word from the very beginning of the year, that this is the year of dunamis power to strengthen and fortify. Strengthening and fortifying means that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we have seen great tragedy. Some of you have seen great loss, great successes. You've seen growth. You've seen a lot of things, but one thing I know that you have seen, if you have partnered with this word, is you have been strengthened. Whether you've been strengthened through loss, through tragedy, or whether you've been strengthened through advancement, you've been strengthened and fortified this year. And in that season of strengthening and fortifying, we have been shaken. Our faith has been shaken, our Our mindsets have been shaken. Things that we thought we knew have been shaken. Our routines have been shaken and twisted up. Why? Because the Lord in his infinite goodness and mercy was looking into our future. Began to speak to our elders and leadership well over a year ago. Began to say, hey, next year I'm going to strengthen and fortify you. Why? Because he is creating warriors. It was one of the 
It's part of the prophetic word for the year that this would be a year that warriors are created. Ladies and gentlemen, warriors are not created with tea parties. Warriors are not created with spa days and and hour-long massages. Warriors are created through difficulty. Warriors are created through trial. Warriors are created through hard times. Warriors are not wimps. Warriors are challenged and pressed and put to where they think they cannot go any further and they're challenged to go further. So I want to tell you this morning with prophetic urgency in my spirit, if you feel like you are at the end of your rope, keep going. If you feel like I can't go through this obstacle course one more time, don't give up. If you feel like there's no way I can put one foot in front of the other, 10-4, let's go. My grandfather used to say, suck it up, buttercup. Like, let's go. Life keeps going. And God is creating warriors. For what purpose? Why? Because he is going to advance his kingdom. He's going to advance his kingdom on earth. And he cannot do it with weak, lazy, fearful Christians. He cannot. We will not advance the kingdom on this earth with Christians who are so inwardly and me focused that we can't handle any stress, any trial, any turbulence, any difficulty without it collapsing our faith. We must be strong. We must be fortified. And we've been preaching foundational messages throughout this year. We've been preaching about dunamis. We've been preaching sin and salvation, the authority of scripture, preaching eschatology and heaven and hell, Pastor Landon's message on strange fire. We've been in the summer of prayer. We have been leaning into strengthening and fortifying our faith in every area. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been around or if you've missed, you've been traveling throughout the summer, Mercy Culture Waco has a podcast. Just search Mercy Culture Waco. You can see all of the messages that we've preached throughout this year. Go to the Mercy Culture YouTube channel and you can watch all of the messages that have been delivered from Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather and our other pastors in Fort Worth. I want to encourage you to steward these words. Ah. Don't allow prophetic warnings to go in one ear and out the other and then be shocked when you are not equipped and prepared to handle what's coming your way. So this morning we start a new series because the Lord spoke to us and said, finish the year by strengthening and fortifying our faith with the full armor of God. Say, I'm going to put on the full armor. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you'd like my notes, just text the word notes to 59090. Everything that's in front of me will be sent to you. i got a lot of scripture this morning. We're going to go through it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, we have this idea as modern day Christians that we put on the full armor of God so that we can get a brand new Mercedes. That we put on the full armor of God so that we can live our best life and everything's wonderful and great. But the Bible says 
to be strengthened in the strength of his might so that we can stand against what? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is spiritual warfare. Verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Church family, there is a battle going on for your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This tells us that discerning what is good and acceptable and perfect is not inherent to the human being. The scripture tells us that discerning what is good and acceptable and perfect does not just come naturally, but it requires us to test the spirit, to renew our minds. It takes discernment. See, I want to tell you, unfortunately, there are many Christians today who are living their life in confusion and thinking that they are walking in the good and perfect and acceptable of the Lord. But because we have not renewed our mind with the word, but we have instead renewed our mind with the culture, we have perverted the gospel. We must renew our mind so that we may determine and discern what is the will of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 6 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Proverbs teaches us that there is a way unto man that seemeth right, but in the end, it ends in destruction. There's a path that seems right to our mind and it seems right to our culture. There are well-educated, well-spoken, articulate, intelligent people who are raising lofty opinions against the knowledge of God, against the word of God. And if we don't do what 2 Corinthians tells us to do and take every thought captive to obey Christ, then we will be deceived. We will lose the battlefield of the mind. What do we do when we are fighting on this battlefield? Well, we have to fight back. I'm going to give you some practical advice. In your daily encounter, put on or pray on the full armor of God. This is something that we've been doing with our children on the drive to school for years. We just recite the full armor of God. We physically will put it on and 
Just pray these things and begin to put on the armor of the Lord. Ask the Lord to clothe you in his spiritual armor every single day. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, say stayed, on you because he trusts you. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 6 says this, For this reason I am reminded you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. But sometimes we quote that scripture, but we forget the first part. Yes, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. But we must fan into flame the gift of God. We have to encounter the Lord every day. We have to renew our mind. We have to wash ourselves in the word. We have to fan into flame that gift. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, not to those who believe in Christ Jesus. Not to those who come to church twice a month. Those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We have to set our minds. We get to determine where our minds are set. Are they set on the things of the flesh? Are they set on the things of the Spirit? When is the last time you were convicted by something that you watched or listened to? When is the last time you stopped a Netflix show in the middle of it, even though you really wanted to know how it ended, because you said, wait a second, my mind is beginning to be set on the things of the world instead of the things of the Spirit. When is the last time the Holy Spirit convicted you? You see, sin is not something that happens to us. Sin is something we choose to do when we stop setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. You are not a victim who is sitting in your living room and sin just jumps on you and accidentally, oh, whoops, I just fell into sin. That's not how it works. Sin is a process of setting our minds not on the things of the spirit, but the things of the world. Verse 6 goes on to say, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, say death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. There's that dirty word, submit. Nobody wants to, I almost said ain't nobody, but I, I didn't, I used good English. Ain't nobody want to hear the word submit. Certainly not in church. We don't want to hear that word submitted. It, it, it bothers us. It goes up and down our spine. It begins to irritate the flesh. What do you mean submit? That's an ugly word. I got to submit. I'm a strong man. I'm a strong woman. I don't have to submit to nobody, no time, nowhere. I don't have to submit. I'm going to do what I want to do. But the Bible says if you do not submit to God's law, indeed, it says it cannot submit to the law of God. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We pray this every Sunday when we end our service. Teach us your ways that we may know you and find favor. That word favor just means to please the Lord. But if we are in the flesh, we cannot, say cannot. cannot. We cannot please God. And I'm not sitting up here, standing up here in judgment. I am standing up here telling you I have been in that position. Refusing to set my, things on the, my mind on the things of the Spirit. Refusing to submit not only to God but to anybody else. Living in rebellion and pride. Living focused on the things of the flesh. And I want to tell you, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens incrementally. You see, I was a minister I was working for church. I was writing books and preaching messages and leading worship. And my heart was slowly turning away from the things of the Lord and turning towards the things of the flesh. Why? Because I stopped encountering the Lord. It's because my relationship with God was determined by what happened on Sunday. And I thought that when the Lord used me, it meant that his favor was upon me. I thought that a move of the Holy Spirit through my singing or preaching meant that I was somehow pleasing the Lord, but that's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true that God, just because God is using you, doesn't mean that we're walking in the fruits of the Spirit. I'll put it this way, just because you may walk in the gifts of the Spirit doesn't necessarily mean you're walking in the fruits of the Spirit. And I was there in my life and I stopped, I stopped encountering the Lord every day and, and there was hurt after hurt and I was hurt in ministry and, and the church hurt me and leaders hurt me and I began to just get real, uh, real inwardly focused and begin to feel real sorry for myself and walk around like a victim and it's, everybody's hurt me and I'm so upset and I have a right to be angry and I have a right to this and I have a right to that and depression and sadness and darkness, it crept into my life until it became completely overwhelming to me. And a friend of the family called and offered us this position and this job. And I remember talking to him on the phone. And I still knew the Christianese, right? Because I'm raised in church and I knew what to say. And I said, well, let me pray. about. I'm, we're going to pray about it. Nikki Pack! <laughs> like had the, had the drill out. We're going to pray about it. Pulling stuff out the walls. Packing my stuff up. I couldn't get off staff at church fast enough. It was just, you ever seen those cartoons where somebody runs off and it's just like a silhouette of their dust? It was like, boop, I was and then was not. I was in the car. Lord, do you bless this? Thank you. Hallelujah. And I remember driving from, from up north from Washington State and driving down the coastline. And we took some time. And I remember thinking in my head. Now imagine this. I was thinking in my head, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with all of it. That's how how quickly neglecting encounters with the Lord can lead to complete depravity in your life. And Alex was a little boy, about two years old. No, he was a little older than that, three years old. And I was thinking, well, I'll take him to church on Sunday mornings. 
We'll bring him to church, and, but that's all I'm going to do. That's it. I'm done with ministry. I'm done with all of it. I don't want to feel the presence of God. So I looked for a church that was all about me. We got to Dallas. We got in a beautiful uh, apartment, and we had this. We were on the 19th floor, floor-to-ceiling windows, looking out over the city. Hey, hey, life was good. Praise God. I didn't have to work for the church. I was working in the world. I thought, this is great. My job was to schmooze C-level executives of these companies and tell them how great our company was, take them out to fancy lunches and dinners and drinks and all of these things. And I just began to live that life. And I looked for a church that was all about me, a place that I could go and they'd tell me how great I was and how wonderful everything was. And the music was good, but not too good. You know what I mean? It was good music, but it didn't convict me, and I could just go, oh, praise God, look at me, I'm still a Christian, and my son is in church, and praise the Lord. And then my parents started taking, picking up Alex and taking him to church, and I thought, well, great, I can sleep in. And we quit going to church completely. I started going to more happy hours with people at work, completely opposite of who I am. And who I was raised to be, I've loved church all of my life since I was a little boy. My earliest memories is sleeping under pews as people were just laid out in the floor in the power and presence of God. I was raised in the glory of the Lord, in the presence of God. And in that much time, my heart had completely turned cold. My grandparents who are two of the most godly people I've ever known in my life. My grandfather, before he would pass, before he passed, he would pray over the meal. And he would just say, sweet Jesus. The presence of God would fill the dining room. I can't even count how many times people who didn't even serve the Lord would be over for dinner because he knew how to trap them. <laughs> He'd invite them over for dinner because my granny can cook now. Let me tell you something. She could throw down and she'd fry up some chicken fried steak and have us sitting around the table and Papa would say, sweet Jesus. And I would see people who weren't even serving God fall out of their chair onto the floor in the presence of the Lord because that relationship with God. So when we'd go to our family's house, I knew it was coming. So I'd go to the bathroom. I'd say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I would just sneak off and go to the restroom and I'd wait for Papa to cry and pray and talk about Jesus. And then I'd come back in and eat the food. Why? Because I knew if I had a moment, a taste in the presence of the Lord, it would all be over. And I was unsubmitted. I was rebellious. I set my mind on the things of the flesh, rejected God, ran from his presence. And there was this moment, this time, this day, I was laying in my floor, had all the curtains drawn. Everything in my life had come crashing down. It was misery, misery on all sides. And I told the Lord, I remember laying on the floor, my face buried in the carpet and saying, if I wasn't afraid of hell, I would kill myself. And asking the Lord to take me home. And I wasn't even confident that's where I would go. But the darkness that overcame and overwhelmed and then my brother, is he here this morning? I haven't seen him. No. I'm going to get him. But my brother invited me to church, to some church he was going to. And I told him, I don't like how you dress. I don't like the music you listen to. I'm not going to like your church. 
You know how brothers talk. And I came and went to his church, and the first time I went, I stood there coldly, but something began to touch my heart. And, and I came back the next week. I have no idea why. <laughs> and I don't know what the preacher preached on. I don't know what he was speaking about. I don't know one song that they sang. But at the end of that service, the Holy Spirit reached down and grabbed me by my neck and drug me to the altar. And it was a moment in God's presence that everything changed for me was one moment where the presence of the Lord touched my life and everything began to change. And I was convicted and I repented and I turned from my ways and I began to seek the Lord and everything began to change and, and open. And all of our problems didn't go away, but I found again the peace that passes all understanding. And I've learned in serving the Lord that it is a continuous process of dying to ourselves and renewing our minds that we must do daily. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I die daily. And just after the fruits of the Spirit are listed in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, this is not something that just happens to us, but we must actively crucify the flesh. We read the gifts of the Spirit and we think, oh, I'm just going to stand here and they're just going to fall on me. But we have to crucify the flesh. We have to be careful about who we're allowing to speak into our lives. When I look back on my journey, I can see that that was the beginning of my heart turning from God. It was who I was calling and seeking advice from. And who was speaking into my life and who was telling me, you don't have to listen to those people and who do they think they are and they're unhealthy and all of it was true, but it wasn't from the spirit of the Lord. It was the seeds of bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness. So know who you are allowing to speak into your life. We have to test the spirit. Say test the spirit. First John chapter four, verse one says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, so many of us eat up every word of social media prophets when you have no idea to whom they are accountable or submitted. And we read their messages like fortune tellers. We have to test the spirits. You read books written by people who have publicly confessed that they want nothing to do with the body of Christ, deny the truth of God's word, and live in rebellion and lack of submission. Yet we take their spiritual advice. We have to test the spirits. You listen to podcasts and take their word as gospel truth when the speaker has repeatedly admitted to living an unholy lifestyle. We have to test the spirits. You take advice from friends who profess Jesus but deny his word. They hate the word, hate the church, call biblical morality bigotry, gospel preaching hate speech, and you're hanging on their every opinion. We have to test the spirits. Beware of those in your life who manipulate the scripture until nothing in it seems to apply to them. We got to ask ourselves questions like, do they fear the Lord? What does that mean? Someone who fears the Lord lives a life that bears the fruit of holiness. If the answer to that question is no, then they are not wise. 
We have people who are going to Sally at, at, at work and asking Sally for marriage advice. And every time your husband frustrates you, you go talk to Sally, who sits in the cubicle next to you. I can't believe Bill has refused to take out the trash yet again this week. I can't believe he didn't pick up his socks. And Sally says stuff like he doesn't trust, he doesn't respect you. And Bill is gaslighting you and fill in whatever popular phrase it is of the day. And she begins to tell you and sow these things into your life. And you look around and Sally's been married six times. And you're seeking advice from her because you, for some reason, are seeking advice from foolish people. Why are we asking advice from people who don't fear the Lord? Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all. Say all. Wisdom. So why would you take advice from a fool? Give you some caution. If Satan can't get you to reject the gospel of Jesus, he'll convince you to accept a counterfeit gospel. He'll convince you to accept the counterfeit, the gospel of counterfeit blessing, where we seek our pleasure over his. Where we say things like, Jesus would never want me to deny my authentic self. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, if Jesus were alive today and tweeted that, he would be canceled. It's the, the counterfeit blessing says things like uh, where we put the concept of blessing through the lens of our own desires instead of through the lens of God's desires. It is the worship of happy. It's when we say things like Jesus just wants me to be happy. And it's not happiness as defined by the word, the joy of the spirit. It's happiness as defined by whatever fulfills my own desires. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Another translation calls it the gift of suffering. I want to ask you today, through what lens are you looking for the blessings of the Lord? Maybe we don't know what it truly means to be blessed. It's another season in life that Nikki and I were here in Waco. And we had in our hearts, we had it in our hearts to launch a church. And we had started this church and COVID hit. And y'all know how great that was. And, and all these things were happening. And, and we were online. And we were moving our furniture out of our living room every Saturday and filming a service and staying up all night long to edit it and then posting it online on Sundays and trying to hold things together. And then, and then COVID went down a little bit and we started meeting again. And we had this dream in our heart and this church. And, and we were asking God, Lord, would you bless it? Would you bless it? Would you bless it? Would you bless it? And then lo and behold, we get this call from Pastor Landon and the Mercy Culture Elder. Long story short, they say, Would, we are, are asking, we're submitting this to you. We feel like the Lord has spoken. Would you shut your church down completely, lay it down, move to Fort Worth, and come back after some time and launch Mercy Culture Waco? And we stopped and said, wait, Lord, we said, would you bless this? And the answer to the, bless, to the request for blessing was for it to die. You see, so many of us are hearing the words of blessing and we are putting that through the lens of our own desires, through the lens of the word, instead of the fully laid down, submitted lens of what does God want for my life? 
Long story short, we shut it down and we lost relationships and we lost some friendships and and it was painful and it was difficult and it died and we released it and we've been more blessed than we could ever imagine. Why? Because it was the true blessings of the Lord. Maybe losing everything is the way he wants to bless you. Maybe you thought the Lord wanted to bless you by that promotion at work, but he really wanted to bless you by that pink slip at work. You see, blessing comes through obedience, not through Waco Mercedes. See, preachers have told us that everything will work out the way that you hope that that it will. And when it actually works out the way that he hoped, we blame God for our frustration. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Paul says, you, or James says, you adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. In other words, we should feel bad about our sin. And it is not spiritual abuse to tell you that hell is real and sin will send you there. It is the epitome of spiritual abuse to deny that fact and watch you dance towards destruction. But that is hard for us to digest because we have been confused and deceived by the counterfeit gospel of you. You see, the key tenets of the gospel of you is that this is the gospel where the cross of Calvary exalts you instead of Jesus. But in the gospel of Jesus, salvation isn't the revealing of how great we are. It's the revealing of how great he is. In the gospel of you, you become the savior. In the gospel of Jesus, he was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. In the gospel of you, you're taught to believe in yourself and that the answer to all of your problems is simply that you just need more self-control. But in the gospel of Jesus, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The gospel of you tells us to follow our heart, but the gospel of Jesus says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The gospel of you preaches that all of your problems are someone else's fault. It teaches that the sin in your life happened to you, not because of you. It is a gospel of collective salvation instead of personal repentance. It says that the sins we need forgiveness from are not our own, but societies. Instead of a sinner, we are painted as a victim. But the gospel of Jesus says in Ephesians 2, 3, all of us, also lived among them at one time, fulfilling the cravings of our flesh and indulging in its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. 
In Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And in Romans 2.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. You see, salvation isn't the revealing of how great we are. It is the revealing of how great Jesus is. The closer we get to the cross, the less confident in ourselves we ought to become. And the more confident in Jesus we ought to become. Instead of churches being filled with the sounds of positive affirmations of how wonderful we are, they should be filled with the sounds of weeping, repentance, and worship in the face of how wonderful he is. And I know that this is an anathema to many of us. Because we have been ingrained with the lie that true salvation absolves us of all personal responsibility and that Jesus' sacrifice is simply a revealing of the wonder and majesty that is you and me. But true salvation reveals the depravity of our hearts and the wonder and majesty that is Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, how do we crucify our flesh? How do we take this gospel of of you, the me-centered gospel, and eradicate it from our spiritual lives? Some practical steps to crucifying our flesh is fasting and denying yourself. This is not my spiritual gift. We have connect with God ways, and one of the ways is through fasting. And I always get whatever the lowest score is on fasting, that's the one I get. And I have been, I have been telling them I want to connect with God way, connect with God through feasting. I feel the Lord when I feast. And while I don't love fasting, I love fasting. Because I love the results of what the death of the flesh produces in my life. You see, fasting tells our body that, yes, it is indeed in submission to the Lord and not to our own whims. We crucify our flesh by not buying everything we want. Uh Uh-oh. Some of you are clearing out your Amazon shopping cart right now. By turning from our own desires so that we can steward our finances in a way that we can pursue and fund God's desires. Tithing begins to kill the flesh and the spirit of mammon's hold on your flesh. Some of us in the room, just when I said the word tithing, there's a little irritation of our flesh. I want you to lean into that. Begin to ask the Lord, Lord, this is something that irritates my flesh. God, I'm going to die to that. Washing your mind daily in the word renews our mind and crucifies the flesh. Bill Johnson says this. People come to him, he says all the time and say, yeah, but I read the Bible every morning, but I don't remember what it says. And his response is, I don't remember what I had for breakfast either, but it worked. 
Listen, you don't have to remember everything that you read, but I can promise you, if you will make habit of reading the word, and the Bible says washing yourself in the word daily, it will begin to produce fruit in your life. We have accepted and we have been confused by the counterfeit gospel of dunamis, of counterfeit dunamis, where the fear of man overtakes the fear of the Lord. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4, it says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Counterfeit dunamis is where we seek influence over spiritual authority. Galatians 1.10 says, For I am now seeking the approval, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Counterfeit dunamis is where power comes through ambition, not obedience. It is dunamis in appearance only. Counterfeit dunamis says things like, I have a prophetic destiny on my life, but we are unsubmitted and unwilling to find a soil that will hide us long enough that that seed of destiny may die, break open, and bring forth life. Listen, until it is dead to you, you will never be entrusted with it. If you are not okay without it, you're not ready for it. Because if you need it, you will eventually worship it. You see, many of us have a word from God, a prophetic word from God. It may be a ministry. It may be a business It's not necessarily something bad. It is a, some of us have a word from the Lord. He has, he has given to us, he has birthed into us something that he wants us to do. But we have exalted the works of the kingdom over the king of the kingdom. We have lifted up what we can do for Jesus over Jesus himself. And instead of finding our identity in Christ, we have found our identity in what we can do for Christ. Instead of finding our strength in our weakness, we have found our strength in what everybody says about us. Man, that was a good word. Oh, I love what you posted on social media. And oh, that song really convicted me. Or that art that you created, I felt the presence of God on it. And that thing that you said really moved me. And we began to be puffed up and we exalt these things above, above the Lord. We exalt it above the Savior. We exalt it above Jesus and we begin to worship the works of the hand of the Lord instead of the Lord himself. Worship team, you can come up. This counterfeit dunamis refuses to wait on the Lord because our pursuit, our pursuit is the fruit. We are pursuing the fruits of ministry, the fruits of anointing, the fruits of the favor of the Lord instead of Jesus himself. And so we refuse to wait on the Lord. It refuses to be strengthened and fortified. It refuses to be uncomfortable. I told you that story earlier of 
the process of, of me beginning to have my heart turned away from the things of the Lord. But the way that that began was through a season of great difficulty and trial and darkness. Nikki and I went through about a decade of one horrific battle after the next. We were in this season. We were just struggling. Everything, nothing seemed to be working. Nothing seemed to be panning out the way that we had hoped, the way that we had dreamed. All of the prophetic words that God had given, it seemed that they were as far away as the east is from the west. There seemed to be nothing going on in our lives. And instead of waiting, instead of allowing it to crush me, I got too uncomfortable. And I remember like it was yesterday, we were laying on the bed, we were talking to some friends on speakerphone and they invited us to come and be a part of this ministry. And I immediately knew it wasn't the Lord. The ministry was amazing, but we weren't supposed to go at that time. I knew it. I could just feel it. But we were so desperate. We were so crushed. We were so broke. We'd have two nickels to rub together. Everything was falling apart. And we said, okay, we'll go. We stepped out of obedience to the Lord. Why? Because it, it just got got too uncomfortable for us. See, some of you this morning, I know, are in that place right now. The Lord told you to do something, and now the rubber is meeting the road, and it's gotten real hard. And it seems like nothing seems to be working out, and it's, it's really difficult, and this door is not opening, and this door is not opening, and I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm getting restless in this place. It's getting real uncomfortable. I'm feeling the pressure. And we have bought into one of these counterfeit gospels. Huh. We believe that following Jesus means that we're always supposed to be comfortable when Jesus promised we would suffer. He promised that he would show his strength through our weaknesses. Nikki and I got so uncomfortable, we picked up, we moved, we stepped out of the will of the Lord and it added years to our journey. I tell you today, some of us need to stop telling people God told you to do stuff he didn't tell you to do. Because you are ruining his reputation when it all goes down in flames. Counterfeit dunamis refuses to be like Jesus. In Luke twenty two forty two, 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, the gospel of counterfeit dunamis would tell you 
that if you are strong and mighty and powerful, when those Romans are taking you to the cross, you bring down 10,000 angels and destroy them all. Because counterfeit dunamis is a gospel that always has to be first. It always has to be the greatest. It always has to be strong. It always has to be proud. It always has to lead. It always has to be exalted. It always has to perform and impress. When Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light um, ladies and gentlemen you've been lied to we've been lied to we've been told that the gospel was about us getting everything we want instead of dying to it all we've been told that the gospel was all about you and me and not all about him. We've been told that the gospel was about how much you perform and how powerful you are, not about how low and meek you are willing to go. And as a pastor, I'm sorry. Everybody close your eyes. Just listen to this. As a pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for a gospel message designed to fill pews instead of convict hearts. Sorry for a gospel whose goal is to make you always feel good instead of James 4 and be wretched and mourn and weep. And humble yourselves before the Lord so that he may exalt you. I'm sorry that you've been handed a paper hat instead of the helmet of salvation. The true gospel, the true helmet of salvation creates warriors, not self-centered, greedy, covetous cowards, but warriors. Warriors like Paul, who we read about in Philippians chapter 1. He's sitting in prison. Paul has been through it. He has been shipwrecked. He has been talked about. He's been rejected by the people he loved the most. He has been run out of town after town. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been threatened with death. Nothing is working out for Paul, but Paul is wearing the helmet of salvation. Paul is not in prison saying, where, where is the cross of Jesus to tell me how wonderful I am? No, Paul is saying, oh Jesus, I count it all joy. Paul is writing and saying, if I die, I get to be with the Lord. And if I live, I get to preach his gospel. And if you set me free, I can preach to more people. But if you keep me locked up, I can finish writing the Bible. And no matter what they throw at Paul, 
He's wearing the helmet of salvation and he's not putting it through the lens of counterfeit gospel, but he is putting everything he's going through through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, though they slay me, yet will I trust him. He's putting it through the lens of the word of God that says, no matter what you do to me, Jesus is triumphant. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the one. It's not my strength. It's not my ability. Oh, you took my job, Jesus, be glorified. You want to take my life, Jesus, be glorified. You want to lock me in prison, Jesus, be glorified. You want to talk about me like a dog, Jesus, be glorified. Paul was a warrior. He was unshaken by his surroundings. He was resolute in his commitment to Jesus. And he was fully prepared to go all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a fake gospel. The gospel. So we've been going through this season of strengthening and fortifying everything keeps being shaken and every time it's shaken a little bit more falls off the facade and it keeps cracking and breaking and and all I keep seeing when I pray and all I keep seeing in my daily encounters I just keep seeing Jesus just keep seeing Jesus just over and over again and and I'm trying to pray deep prayers and think about deep things and I just keep hearing it's all about Jesus it's it's all about Jesus it's it's all about Jesus the gospel is all about Jesus it's not about you it's not about me it's not about impressing somebody it's not about your power it's not about what you get it's about Jesus. Ah. This week, we're commemorating one year since my grandfather passed away. He's the most impactful person in my life. and He loved Jesus more than anybody I know except for my granny. Just a few months before he died, he had a stroke. That stroke took a lot of things from him. He had a wit that was sharp. (laughs) He was quick, just fast. That stroke slowed everything down a little bit, slowed down his speech, slowed down. He always walked fast. He's a hard-working man his whole life. Everything slowed down a little bit. It, it took some of his sense of humor. He loved to play cards. And you, when it was your turn, you better be ready. It took that from him. But it never took Jesus. In 80 years of life, ups and downs and difficulties and trials, what I learned from my grandfather 
is that it's just all about Jesus. I was listening this weekend to a preacher. He's 90 years old. He's traveled the world. 90 years old. Traveled the world. Pastored a church of tens of thousands of people. And he got up to preach. And all he could do is weep and cry and just talk about Jesus. He didn't talk about what he's seen. He didn't talk about the exploits that he's done. He didn't talk about the countries that he's been to. He didn't talk about what you can get. He just talked about Jesus. That's all he could do is talk about Jesus. Let's tell you about Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to get back to Jesus. Ah, church family, we've got to lay down everything that stands in between us and Jesus. Not the Jesus that we have built in our own image, but the Jesus of the Bible. We've got to get back to Jesus. That meek and lowly Jesus, that Jesus who suffered for us. We've got to get back to Jesus. If you would just stand to your feet. I saw was us looking at the cross, looking for Jesus through layers and layers of other things. Our view of the Lord was obstructed. And this morning, as we began to ask the Lord and we began to repent for a me-centered view of the gospel, we began to repent and ask God to give us eyes to see what it truly means to be blessed. And as we begin to repent and lay down everything to be last, to reveal our weakness, to die to our ambitions and our desires, then all of those obstacles began to fall down and we could lock our eyes on Jesus. I saw us laying down counterfeit dunamis to pick up the true dunamis power of the Lord. just between you and the Lord, just begin to repent to the Lord, whatever it might be. Oh, Jesus, Lord, I repent of my ambition. Lord, I repent of looking for the works of your hand more than just looking for your face and wanting to please you, Lord. Lord, I repent from making the gospel all about me and not all about you. Lord, I repent for placing anything between me and you. Uh. 
I lay it all down, Jesus. Come on, just begin to tell them, everybody, just pray.